Welcome to the Food Lens Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Smart, New England food writer and founder of The Not Just Company. And I'm your host, Molly Ford, co-founder of The Food Lens, your online resource for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston. On each episode of our podcast, we chat with restaurant industry insiders, digging into business, passion projects, and food trends to see what's shaping the New England restaurant scene. On today's episode, we're chatting with TJ and Hadley Douglas, owners of one of our favorite wine shops in the South End, The Urban Grape. Hey guys, before we get started with our interview, I want to tell you about Image Unlimited Communications, a PR agency that cares about restaurants just as much as we do. This Boston-based firm has a unique and effective personalized approach, and they've got the local and national media clips to prove it. With a sharp focus on lifestyle, restaurants, and consumer goods, the agency has the contacts and the hustle to get you the placements that really move the needle for your brand. Whether you're looking for help with public relations, event planning, digital marketing, or social media, Image Unlimited Communications is here to help. Check them out at www.iucboston.com. That's iucboston.com. Hey Molly, how's it going? going it's going yeah how's it going with you good uh i'm really excited to see tj and hadley from urban grape last time i saw them we were scarfing down some brownies and sipping champagne at milk street when i was teaching classes there that sounds fun yeah it was awesome it was a great day at work uh but i'm excited to have them in studio me too if you've been listening to our podcast you know that i love wine (laughs) and now Catherine can drink wine (laughs) because she gave birth so We are excited to talk all things wine and uh, pick their brains about business, wine, natural wine, and everything that goes into owning a business as a married couple. Yeah. And I love how approachable their their little system is for figuring out, you know, what you want to drink. Uh, and I definitely want to ask them some questions about, about that and how that fits in with their shop. Me too. I have a lot of questions. I'm excited. So many questions. Let's get them in here. So it's new, guys. I remember you guys being, like, diehard oh Celtics my. fans. Have you been going to all the games lately? All Celtics all the time. <laughs> I love it. Um, but, yes, it's our kids. Our boys are crazy Celtics fans. Are they diehard all around, like, Patriots, Celtics, Bruins? No. Yeah, sorry. I was, yeah. like, taking a little nap. <laughs> I was just listening. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Taking it all in. I'll see you guys in a minute. <laughs> I'm only mildly sleep-deprived. My son. I can't, I can't believe you're in here doing this. I mean, you have your own business, you know. Like, <laughs> I, I took, no rest for the wicked. <laughs> yeah, I think I took six months off after each kid. Oh, that's smart. That's why you look so happy and healthy. And <laughs> that's why your business is still going. To be like, here lies Catherine, who tried to not take a maternity leave. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Okay. We're All right. We're gonna okay. get. We're gonna okay. get down to business now. Okay. Well, I'm excited to see you guys, Hadley. It's been like I think a few years since we originally met. And before we get into the urban grape and drinking progressively, I actually want to hear more about your backgrounds and what what brought you into the wine world. Um, I got brought into the wine world by TJ, so we should probably start (laughs) with him. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, my introduction to the wine world was probably when I was 14 years old uh, as a dishwasher up in Vermont in a restaurant and uh, ended up going out into the dining room and seeing people drinking and eating, having fun. Uh, fast forward to 21 when I moved to Boston and 
geez, 2000? 2000, yeah. yeah. I worked at a couple restaurants and uh, one was a Todd English restaurant and I was hired as the as the bar manager and this was in Faneuil Hall and we were supposed to get a, a full alcohol license. Uh, so like, you know, vodka and whiskey and stuff like that. And the day before our, uh, our opening, we ended up receiving our license, which was a beer, wine, and cordials license. Oh, so, you know, no, no vodka, no cranberry, sour apple martinis, and we were forced to learn about wine and pour by the glass. And that was really my introduction into the wine world by, by force. Uh, and then when I met Hads uh, in 2001, I think. Why are you questioning when we met? <laughs> it's not circled because on your calendar. It's, it's not, yeah. It's not, it was 2001. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in 2001, and Hadley comes from um, a family where uh, mom loves California Chardonnay and dad loved big Napa cabs and Barolos. And so uh, between working in the restaurant side and then going, uh, hanging out with them, I got to drink some great wines. And that was really the start. Yeah, I had grown up in a total wine family, um, but I never in a million years thought I would be in this industry or running a wine store or all the businesses that we've spun off of it. Um, my whole background was in marketing, philanthropy, actually worked with professional athletes and helped them with their um, philanthropic giving. And um, I was on maternity leave when TJ was starting the Urban Grape. And and famously, I mean, we've told this story before, but he was like, could you just write the opening press release and interview these, you know, things called bloggers and <laughs> have them to the store? It was right when blogging really was starting to um, take off. And so I, I did the website. I did the press release, had, you know, did like the first round of interviews and just always assumed I would go back to work. And 10 years later, and I've never gone back. Well, Why are you looking at me for the date? <laughs> I, I cannot remember when we opened the store ever. That is true. June 12, 2010. <laughs> so now you've had this store for a while. Mm -hmm. Yep. Can you tell our listeners, you know, why why is it so unique? What what sets you apart from other, other places? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, what really sets the Urban Grape apart from other wine stores as in the actual selection and build out is that we're set up in what we call progressive format uh, using what we also call progressive shelving where the wines are not organized by geographical region like Tuscany or uh, grape varietal like Sangiovese or Cabernet, uh, but they're set up by the body. So light bodied to medium body to full bodied. And we look at it as a scale of skim milk to whole milk to heavy cream. And uh, so our progressive scale one to 10, it's how our customers and clients shop and learn and kind of take the blinders off of saying you should only drink wines based on the zip code or, you know, the price point or the grape rattle that it's made of. So we're the only store in the country to use this scale. It was built off of um, Kevin's Rayleigh's um, Windows on the World wine book. And he talks about that a little bit in his book. And TJ really seized on that when he wanted to open the store um, because he had had a restaurant background. He'd had a distribution background. And he just felt like there wasn't a store in Boston that was really combining his love of restaurants with a retail shopping experience. Um, and he just wanted to do something completely different. So we he really decided to set the store up using the scale from 1 to 10 for white and 1 to 10 for red. And, um, you know, we had no idea if it would work, but first day we were 
open. A bunch of people came in, and there was a couple that was standing in front of what, like the three W yeah. or something. So a sort of Sauvignon Blanc area. And um, she was like, oh, honey, we love this one and this one and this one. And they were just going down the three W section and loved all the wines that were in there, even though they were from all over the world and all different varietals. And we were like, oh, my God, this is going to work. So we um, we were really excited. And they said, who knew that? that we were three W's? Yeah. The grape. This is like day one. <laughs> exactly. So, so it, we had really awesome feedback from from day one. So TJ, you have the scale of one to 10 W and one to 10 R, which stands, of course, for red and white. Uh, and you had this couple come in that loved, say, a three W. Can you just break that down for us a little bit? Yeah, totally. It's literally how, what's the viscosity of the liquid on your palate? And so when I take a sip, the first thing that I that I think about is how heavy does this feel on my palate? If it's a skim milk, it's going to be like a one or a two, maybe a three. Uh, so three W is going to be you know lighter than whole milk, heavier than skim milk. Um, and in that section of the sort of three W's, uh, you're going to have a lot of Sauvignon Blancs, maybe some Pinot Grigio, but it might be Pinot Grigio from a warmer vintage and a warmer region. Uh, and it really lets people explore if they like Sauvignon Blanc. Here are 50 other wines that can suit your palate that don't say, you know, SB or New Zealand on the on the label. And there's actually quite a bit of science behind it that we mm. figured out when we were writing our book, Drink Progressively. And that was that the lighter bodied wines were really much more cool climate, very, I would say, rockier terroir. You know, they just had to struggle a lot more, thinner grapes, thinner skin grapes, things like that. So, and then as you get to the more full bodied wines, the grapes have, a, they're grown in much warmer regions. They just are lush and full. So, and there are a lot of other factors that go into it too, in terms of, you know, what the winemakers do to the product, um, malolactic fermentation, barrel aging, things like that. Yeah. Usually when people, you know, if I said, uh, what do you think about Chardonnay? People at least in the U.S., think about like that Kendall Jackson. People are like, oh, it's big, it's oaky, it's heavy, it's buttery. But what if there was a Chardonnay that didn't have all that makeup on it and that Chardonnay actually reminded you of Sauvignon Blanc uh, with its body and its mouthfeel? That unoaked Chardonnay from the Mekon in Burgundy in France would be a 3W as opposed to the California Chardonnay made like you know, Kendall Jackson Chardonnay or whatever the other ones are, which would be maybe like an eight or nine W. So one's going to be like skim milk and one's going to be like heavy cream. I love this comparison specifically because I grew up in California. I grew up drinking the big oaky buttery Chardonnays. <laughs> I loved them. Then I got really over them. And now, you know, I'm a little older, a little wiser. My boyfriend works in wine and I'm more into that the white burgundy yeah. lighter Chardonnay profiles. And I thought I hated Chardonnay after my whole life of drinking that that bold California version. Chardonnay so is, I can relate. <laughs> Chardonnay is awesome. When you guys are talking about, you know, cool kid wines and wine that's beneath you, um, you know, natural wine is all the rage right now. And TJ, mm -hmm. I remember there being you having kind of a hot take on this a while back. You mm -hmm. were at Milk Street Cooking School. Mm -hmm. uh, I We interviewed Lauren Friel recently, and she has her perspective on it. I would love to hear your perspective on... Do you have an hour? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's, it's, um, it's kind of like... Uh, you know, if you had a just raw piece of chicken, probably doesn't taste good. But if you cook it, oh, it might be good. But it might like it a little bit more with some salt, maybe some pepper. Oh, you're going to add some herbs and potatoes to it? Great. Now we have this great dish. If you think about that, that raw material, that one grape grown in a vineyard as that raw chicken, 
it, sometimes it doesn't taste good by itself. You need to add a little stuff to it, add a little salt and pepper. And so I think a lot of people that are on this this trend right now of natural wine, you know, I think the weirder the better for them. But I think a lot of people uh, don't understand what it is because there's not a, a definition of it. Um, where a year and a half ago, people were coming in and saying, oh, do you have any orange wine? You're like, well, like, what, what are you looking for? Are you looking for something that's oxidized or white wine with skin contact, meaning white wine almost ma made like red wine? Uh, and they're like, oh, I, I don't know. I had it in Cambridge. You know, like, all you know, the cool or kids are doing it. All, all the, the cool kids, all the cool kids and some people are ODing on it and, <laughs> and we got to bring them back. But that also, uh, like coincides with people thinking that natural wine has to do with the health of the grapes or the vineyard, uh, or the growing environment where natural wine is the lack of manipulation in the winemaking process. Sometimes they don't relate. So sometimes you can have things that are natural wines but they're actually not organic grapes. And you have tons of wines that are farmed biodynamically and the healthiest grapes possible with no pesticides or anything on there. And like everything in that, in that bottle is great for you, but it tastes big and juicy and yummy where natural wine people were like, oh, this isn't natural wine because it's, I'm like, why? Because it tastes good. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's, so that wasn't an hour, but that was probably two minutes. <laughs> I, I literally break out into a sweat every single time TJ starts talking about natural wine because. Because people ask about it every single people day. People ask about it all the time. And um, sometimes TJ can be a little bit of a bull in a china shop about it, but. That's exactly but, why I asked. I like it. You're going to have, have a great opinion, opinion about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> So I think that if I can do a little TJ translating, uh, which I like to do. She has the marketing background. <laughs> she is. She is. Um, but I think that, I think what it is, is for us, it's about the wine first. It's about the quality of the wine first. And if you are making something thoughtfully and with passion and, you know, you're family farmed, it's small production and it's not quote unquote natural, for us, we just don't care. We don't put commodities up on our shelf. And TJ tastes every single wine that comes into the store, which is generally he tastes about 9,000 different wines a year. And he only chooses the ones that he feels are like the absolute best representations of the wines that he's looking for for the store, no matter the price point, no matter the region, things like that. We don't sell Veuve Clicquot because we don't believe in it as a product. And that can be a real problem for us because that's what people know the most. Well, that's what they associate with Right, with good champagne. Because it's marketed so much that it's that's what champagne but is, we right? don't yeah. believe that it's thoughtfully made, so we don't want to carry it. But I'm always, I'm constantly te <laughs> teasing TJ because he's always like, oh, natural wine, whatever. And then literally nine out of ten wines that he brings into the store, you know, it's like natural wine, <laughs> biodynamic wine, organic wine, sustainably farmed wine. Um, because it is a lot of what we're being shown right now. It is a lot of what interests him. But we're not going to kick something else out of the store um, because it's grown in like a wet, soggy area and they have to, you know, do a little bit more to it in order to get it into the bottle. But I, we both have so much respect for Lauren. We have so much respect for the wine bars in the city that are serving natural wine. I mean, do your thing. Well, and I'm glad we could make you break out in hives and make TJ look mad because <laughs> I think one of the reasons you guys have had such success is I love this like emperor's no clothes attitude that you have and not, you know, to disrespect natural wine or to not respect like one way or the other it's not about that i love that you guys are so clear on what you care about and so customers can really trust you Catherine, i have some exciting news 
Remember our season one sponsor, Weinster? Yes, how could I forget? They curate great wines from small producers in the U.S. You browse their collection of unique, hard-to-find wines, and then they ship it straight to your door with fast, cheap delivery. Yep, that's right. But the exciting news is that they're officially opening their doors to their showroom in Seaport this spring. What do you mean a showroom? Can you buy the wine there? Well, you can purchase wine and join the wine club in the showroom, but you can't walk out with wine. They always ship orders direct to your door. Convenient, right? They host small groups interested in learning more about Weinster and the wineries in their portfolio for wine consultations at no cost. An expert wine consultant will lead the group through a curated menu of five wines and educate the group on each pour and the amazing small producers that make them. Guests will also learn about the many ways to purchase these typically hard-to-find wines, either by the bottle, through the wine club, or with many gifting options on the Weinster site. Um, that sounds amazing. When are we going? I think we're overdue for a wine date now that I'm not pregnant. Totally agree. I can't wait to check it out with you. The complimentary 90-minute wine consultations are by appointment only at the showroom, so let's get on it. If you're interested in learning more, head to www.weinster.com. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R.com. I want to backtrack just a little bit because both um, when you were talking about, you know, finding something that's a little bit off vintage and talking about how you set up your store, I feel like with you guys, we always come back to this idea of accessibility and not mm-hmm. wine not being intimidating to the customer, whether it's because you don't understand the natural wine or because this is a very fancy steakhouse. So can you guys talk a little bit about how you bring accessibility to your store, share that with your customers? You, me. You can start, and I'll clean up. And you'll clean it up. She'll take she'll take my three minutes and put it in the thirty second sound. But yeah, um, it it's kind of like you know chicken and the egg, right? It, it all has to happen at the same time, right? We have to have really great product to sell, but then we have to have really great people to help sell it. Um, so I think starting with with staff, when we put out our, our need for a staff we always make sure that we put in large, bold font, no wine snobs. Because if you have someone that's going to know more than the customer, then that's intimidating. And that customer puts a wall up and then it, it kind of takes wine backwards. And so if you have someone great to talk to you about it and the way that our staff is trained, it's it's not um, like most stores where some, a customer would come in and say, oh, you know, uh, I need a cheap bottle of wine. And some someone immediately grabs this bottle and say, here, this is perfect for you. It's on sale. Like that is just like the most unfair way to sell. Um, people don't sell food that way. You know, you don't sell cars or jeans that way, but somehow wine is sold that way. So we we um, we role play some time in the store. Um, and you Wait, know, you got to break that down for us a little yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. TJ loves to role play. Yeah. <laughs> I have all these different masks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, you know, if someone's coming in and they, and they have their, you know, their, their earbud in and it's raining out and they have their hands full, chances are you're not going to have a five minute conversation about Cabernet Franc from the Loire Valley. But if someone comes in and says, Hey, you know, um, tonight I'm, I have my in-laws in town, it starts the dialogue of great. Well, what do they usually drink? What are you, what are you cooking? What time's dinner? Right. Because if I have all this amazing white wine or sparkling wine that needs to be cold, and dinner's in half hour, that's not going to work. So we have to find something that works. Uh, so you really need to um, understand people and, and drinkers. And I think you need to understand food. And so we try to hire people that has 
that kind of whole thing. And I'd say kind of like forming like Voltron, right? Yeah. And we work as a team. No one on, is on commission here. So you totally stole that from me. I what? used the Voltron, Voltron really? imagery <laughs> last week. And you're more of a transformer kind of thing. I used two that different styles of last week. Robots. And you just blatantly stole it from me, but that's okay. I grew up really, really poor in Connecticut. And so I never could afford like transformers or something. So wait, GoBots? Do you remember GoBots? <laughs> They're they're like the no frills version of of that stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) That just came to mind. (laughs) Go bots. So, (laughs) yeah, we, I mean, really beyond the staff, which there have been so many people that have interviewed with us and I think been just shocked that they haven't gotten a job, but we just felt like they tried to lead with their stuffy knowledge. And that's just, we just, that's not how we play the game. And it really is about having fun. We've got the music turned up loud. It's all about education. We have three free tastings a week, Thursday and Friday from five to eight, Saturday from three to six, where we have winemakers in there, spirits makers in there, beer, craft beer uh, brewers in there. And it's all about education. If you can come in and learn from us and taste something, you're going to feel so much more confident about spending, you know, 10, 12, 15, 50, who matters, doesn't matter what the price is, on a bottle of wine. I honestly remember my first experience ever coming into the Urban Grape. And being totally honest here, I met you Mm -hmm. and I really did feel that hospitable vibe. And we chatted and you helped me pick out some great wine. And I loved the experience so much. And here we are now. (laughs) So we've come full circle. (laughs) But I really do appreciate that, you know, approach because it is definitely really scary sometimes. I mean, we talk about the intimidation factor. And yes, part of that is just not being educated, not knowing about it. But part of it, like the wine world has been very wealthy, very white, very male dominated when you get to the the grower level or even the distributor level. Um, And we've talked a little bit about how that's changing. And thankfully, in some of the food media, we're seeing more people of color. We're seeing more women come into wine. But you guys have been doing this for 10 years. Like, how have you seen that change? How has that been a, a part of your story in the store? Can you talk about that a little bit, too? I think we've been so lucky to have had this 10-year run during this time because we're living the change. We are right smack dab in the middle of it. And I think we're part of the change. I'm I'm so proud of the fact that, you know, our store for 10 years has been predominantly run by women. Uh, we have almost always had a female dominant staff. And it's just that's always been really, really something that I'm so proud of. But being in Boston and the wine world in general, we've always struggled with the diversity aspect in terms of people from different um, cultures and different races. And I think TJ and I finally feel like after 10 years, we're finally getting somewhere. TJ should talk a little bit more about that. And also seeing on the on the restaurant side, you know, when I was in the restaurant side, uh, you know, the brown people were in the back of the house and the non-brown people were in the front of the house. And that's the way it's kind of always been, at least my time in Boston, which is now almost 20 years. Um, And over the past few years, I'm starting to see like, you know, Latin bartenders and, you know, black female bartenders and black sommeliers. And it's, and it's starting to, to come out. I don't think that more brown and black people are moving to Boston. I just think that they're somewhere at some point in time that there was a moment where they saw someone like them in that situation and maybe it you know sparked an interest immediately that did not happen with me i kind of just put my head down and worked and i and i figured like this is what i love and i'm just going to go for it if no one looks like me whatever uh we're also starting to see more of a diverse world um in publications and print for a long time we didn't see that on commercials we definitely didn't see it in advertisements i'd say probably up until maybe in the last year or two 
there aren't wine commercials on TV, right? And now there are, right? There's like rosé and there's like Yellowtail and like the massive, 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 you know, close to billion dollar bottle brands. And so now the marketing aspect is showing a more diverse world. Um, and obviously Instagram is absolutely huge. Uh, for for that, and I think that that's a big part too. When we get excited, when we see you know someone of color put their resume in, I'm like, yes. Excited. But whether we hire them or not, because right. it, you know it still has to come down to: Are they qualified? Do they have the right personality? Do they have the right you know level of of of, of ego to to work? Right. But it's just great that the application even goes in, and that's really exciting. I think that's something that hasn't happened over uh, you know 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, and I think that we just we talk about it a lot, advocating for more people of color to be comfortable in the wine world um, and to be promoting TJ as a business owner, um, you know, a black business owner in Boston. There are very, very few black business owners, small business owners in the hospitality industry in Boston, um, especially like food, wine, things like that. So I just think that that that's kind of where all of our other energy is going right now is to just keep amplifying his voice, amplifying the voices of other um, people in the industry. There are some really great up and coming um, young black winemakers that we just are so excited about. We're always trying to amplify their voices. So that's just kind of what we are really focused on yeah. right now. A little while ago, I can't, I've, I've, I always make this joke, but I have no concept of time. So I'm like, uh, was it last week? She's like, yeah, that was last November, right? Um, but we did this great, great um, young entrepreneur and black networking event through um, a company uh, called Lightworks. This uh, summer, yeah. It was this summer, yeah. yeah. Um, actually, it was, it was over- I can give you the yeah. exact day. Well, it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was over June Juneteenth, yeah. Um, but we did it at the store and it was great. And so there were so many people that have either never heard of us, didn't know we were black and, and, and women owned business, but also walked by hundreds of times because, you know, they lived around the corner, worked around the corner, never came in because they thought like wine wasn't for them. And so many times during that evening, there were I don't know, like 50, 60 people there during that evening, people are like, oh, you know, this is so great. I never get to drink wines like this, but I love wine. Well, what do you drink? Oh, I love Moscato or I love sweet reds. I said, well, why is it that you that you only drink that? And they say, well, like where we live, that's all that's available. You know, so there aren't the stores to sell non-Moscato wines, right? Moscato's delicious, right? It's it's low alcohol, has a little bit of sweetness to it, great acidity, it's awesome. Um, but if that's all that they're offering, you know, at a local wine shop in, you know, not Back Bay or South End or in Beacon Hill, anywhere else, um, then that's all their their experience is going to top off there, and so for for me to see a bunch of people that you know knows wine and then say, well, we love wine, we love drinking, we do wine parties all the time. This is amazing. I've never had a wine so dry, and so and their eyes just wide open. Like, this is awesome, and now they're customers, right? And it's not because I'm black that they're going to start shopping here. It's because someone like me and my staff had an opportunity to open up the the world of wine to them in an unintimidating way and they went huh this is this is great this is awesome and they're starting to explore now it's so great that in your day-to-day -day, tj you're able to expose people to this whole new world that they didn't even know about and now these are people that are seeing you as both a black business owner and they're also being opened up to this whole new new world of wine and you know speaking of reaching more people i want to talk about your book a little bit more Absolutely. So we wrote a book called Drink Progressively, um, and it's a food, uh, a wine education and food pairing book. 
And it basically, it's 20 chapters. Each one of the chapters correlates to a section of our wine wall. So there's one through 10 W for white and one through 10 R for red. And each chapter really digs into explaining um, kind of what the typicalities are for each section. And then we go into really good food pairings for each section. And then Gabriel Frasca, who's the chef at Straight Wharf in yeah. Nantucket, did all of the recipes for us. So there's a recipe, a paired recipe for every chapter um, that we've paired with a specific wine that's available in the store, but also is pretty available um, nationwide. We tried to find wines that had at least a little bit of accessibility. And then the chapters end with... Um, a very simple recipe from our, you know, our home kind of kitchen. So we wanted you to be able to get some basic wine knowledge, think about how to pair wine with food, because for us, that's what it's all about. Um, have kind of an aspirational recipe from Gabriel and then have a more realistic. I mean, one of mine is like grilled cheese and tomato soup, you know, so um, but that's how we eat. And that's and we still open a bottle of wine on grilled cheese night, you know, so we wanted people to realize that wine doesn't have to be ceremonial. It doesn't have to be like you can only drink it when you have this incredible meal. You can be getting takeout and opening a great bottle of wine. And that's cool, too. Um, so, and then we have also within the book different sections for, we call them geek outs, where we talk about different sections of in the wine world, you know, what does malolactic fermentation mean? Um, how, what is it, what is aging? What is terroir? Things like that. So I think that it's a really great novice wine book. If you're just getting into wine and you want to be able to think about wine in a very linear, easy to understand way, I think it's a great book. But I also think if you are very into wine and consider yourself an expert that this takes wine and looks at it in a different way, maybe a way that you haven't thought of before. Um, so I think it's a great book for everybody and everybody should buy it. It's available at our store, but also, you know, Amazon, things like that. And wherever books are sold. Wherever books are sold. <laughs> in, use an independent bookseller, please. <laughs> um, but I did actually ask our Instagram followers if they wanted to ask you guys anything. And we got a few bites. So this first question comes from Courtney. And she wants to know, what is your go-to bottle of wine right now? Courtney. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I know it's a loaded question. Um, you go first, because I have to think. Yeah, so um, I, I would honestly say my go-to bottle of wine and what's mostly in the cellar is Napa Cab. Uh, and that, the reason it's Napa Cab is because uh, when I was a salesperson, you know, we had, the, we had the new baby and I wanted to open up something that pop the cork and it tasted really good now, right? It didn't need to be decanted. I didn't need special glassware. And why it tasted good now is because of all the fruit. It was juicy. It was yummy. It was delicious and tasty. And like, those are all like, you know, four amazing attributes of Napa Cabernet, I think. Do you have a Napa Cab that's sort of um, medium price point, like medium bottle? I'm just thinking for our listeners, like what can they go out to the Urban Grape and, yeah. and pick up? We, we we have a great wine. It's in a low forty dollar price range, I think. It's Napa Cab, and it's a uh, it's a group of uh, winemakers, master sommeliers, wine people, restaurateurs, uh, and they wanted to make a Napa Cab 
um, for all of their friends for By the Glass in their Napa restaurants. And so they, they came up with a, a company, a group called Band of Vintners. And uh, the Band of Vintners, and they make a, the red that's, that we sell, the Consortium. And it's a Cabernet. And it's a little bit on the lighter body side for Cab. It's a 7R as opposed to where a lot of Napa's on the 8R. And uh, it's really good fruit. It's delicious. It's pop and pour. Um, I think that's my final answer, Consortium. <laughs> Vendors. <laughs> no, I have to try it. That took, um, that took a lot of yeah. work to get to that. Um, I'm gonna it's start, an honest answer, though. And I'm true. like, will we have inventory he when cannot, this comes out? Like, he, he cannot. Like on a vintage change. Like, we, heaven forbid I fall in love with a wine because I'll never see it again. It's like the kiss of death. He gets rid of it in the store, I feel like. Um, <laughs> because he doesn't, right, he doesn't want me to get attached. Keep a few bottles for our listeners when yeah. this yeah, comes exactly. out. <laughs> the TFL. Um, I'm, on, I'm on a big, I was off sparkling wine for a number of years and now I'm back on it again. I don't I don't know why. I can't really say, but I'm loving Splash, which is this funky it's actually a natural wine, everybody. Um it's a pet nat sparkling wine from France. Um that I don't know, it tastes I it's just so delicious. But then Pierre Payard, if you want like a real champagne, Pierre Payard Rose is my and we have a case in the fridge at all times. I have a problem with that wine. It's, it's delicious. So good. Yeah, so it's, not, it's not $40. It's definitely not $40. Because <laughs> it's a grower's champagne. 65. It's like 60 65 Yeah, like I think yeah, it's yeah. $65. But we get a good bottle. discount. Yep. I love Perks. grower's champagne. Perks and yeah. now I'm really thirsty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I'm inspired to come by Urban Grape more often. <laughs> <laughs> but lastly, I do want to wrap it up with our rapid fire round of questions. Oh, God. We ask everyone these in rapid studio. Rapid fire. So TJ. it's your rapid. turn. <laughs> Seven. That's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could name your favorite Boston dumpling... May May. I'd say May May. Dive. I don't have one because I think if we called it a dive bar, they'd probably get upset. What? <laughs> dogwood. Dogwood. I was just going to say dogwood. I really like dogwood. Dogwood won't be mad. That's not a dive bar. They won't be mad, though, yeah. if you yeah, yeah, call yeah. them. I, I, I love that place. Dessert. Butterscotch pudding at uh, oh, yeah. Row. Okay, and last one, date spot. Don't make, don't make like, well, we're never going to date. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> Did you just step into a minefield or what? <laughs> With the fact that we don't have time to go on dates anymore. We only talk about it once a week. My, my spot is Eastern Standard. Yeah, me too. What? Eastern Standard. Guys, we are thrilled to be hosting Valentine's Day again with Oak Long Bar and Kitchen on February 13th from 6 to 9 p.m. Join us for a night of sipping, snacking, and sweets to celebrate the ladies, all while supporting Women's Lunch Place, a local charity that helps homeless women in Boston. For more information, check out the events calendar on thefoodlens.com. We hope to see you there. This podcast was produced by Ali Pham. A special thanks to the folks at the PRX Podcast Garage. If you enjoyed what you heard, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with friends and family. You're helping so much to us. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show and check out thefoodlens.com for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston.